You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. On Labor Day weekend in 2011, I was celebrating my sixth anniversary as the pastor here at Faith Church, and 53 people gathered for worship, and it was the second lowest attended Sunday of that year. Second only to Memorial Day weekend, which had 52. That number was actually only two-thirds of what was normally gathering with us for worship in 2011. And I don't remember who was here that Sunday. Uh, Maybe some of you that have been with us that long, since 2011. You belong to the congregation, but you weren't with us that morning, or maybe you were. But I remember that I had a daughter who was not yet one, who was in the nursery, which was directly behind the sanctuary, and down the hallway where the nursery is now, Nicole was teaching children's church. And God was at work in our midst. And we could feel that God was... um, God was calling us as we continued to see more people come to know Christ and experience His restoration in their lives. And so I asked that Labor Day weekend, Sunday morning, for the congregation to turn to 2 Kings chapter 3, and I preached a message um, nearly over seven years ago now on digging ditches. And even though it was a small group gathered on that holiday weekend in 2011, that terminology of digging ditches became something that was repeated again and again and again. It would become a part of the ethos of our congregation. It would be used, phrases like uh, dig a ditch and pray for water, dig a ditch and trust God to send the water would be used in our board meetings and in conversations that we had in the foyer. It became uh, part of the ethic of how we ministered here at our church. And it prompted one of our core values that's listed there in your bulletin. We pray bold, we work hard, we thank God, and we repeat. And as we begin this new year, a year that I believe God has We have incredible potential for God to work in our midst in this year. Um, I want us to return to those roots and to see that there is an ethic of prayer and work that is intermingled. Because for many people, I think that prayer is only what that graphic demonstrates of folded hands. That when we fold our hands, then we are in prayer. That when we are serious about receiving God's help, that we fold our hands in prayer. And that prayer is merely seen as passive. It's something that we do when we're not working. It's something that we do perhaps instead of working. It's something that we do before working. The truth is that prayer is something that we are actively engaged in all of the time. And the New Testament calls us to be people who pray without ceasing, that we're constantly in this attitude, this posture of prayer. And that doesn't mean that we always walk around with our hands folded, but rather we are people that constantly recognize that we need the Lord. That song that we just sang, Lord, I need you every hour, I need you, that is so true. And prayer and work and prayer and effort and prayer and action go hand in hand. And what we see happen again and again throughout the scripture is that prayer is often answered in the form of blood, sweat, and tears. That it is not just graced upon us and doves fly away and the sunlight breaks through in streams and there's 
It is often in the midst of blood, sweat, and tears. And I know that for many of you that are here this morning, who are parents, probably the moment that sticks out, the seminal moment in your life, that moment that you held your newborn child, when you look back on it, perhaps now with the, 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 the effects of time and age, you look back on it and it's this beautiful, sweet moment. But if you remember clearly, it was not. Because it was, it was tough and it was hard. And there was labor and there was blood and sweat and tears. But in the midst of that, God gave you the greatest blessing and gift you've ever experienced. An answer to prayer. And that's what we see happening again and again in Scripture, that prayer is often answered in the form of blood, sweat, and tears. A few months ago, I spoke to you about the harvest. And remember, we talked about the context of the harvest, how that the harvest is something that we pray for, but when the harvest comes, it's work. That the harvest is the busiest time of the year for a farmer. That the harvest is the time that they, 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 they rise before the, the sun and they are working with their lights on, on their harvesters in the fields, even into the late night. And so prayer is something that we do in the midst of work. And God answers prayer often in the form of work. And right now, God is in the midst of doing something incredible here in our congregation. He's building a movement of His kingdom here among us. Our God is answering our prayer for the harvest and also for laborers in the harvest. And I want you to see that at work here in the story of three kings that we're told in 2 Kings 3. Three kings are headed into battle. They're spoiling for a fight. And we'll see that they find themselves in quite a predicament. Look with me at verse 9. So the king of Israel went and the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey. And there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord God hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of the Moab, or of our enemies. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha the son of Shaphat which poured water on the hands of Elijah. He says, listen, there's a prophet nearby. If you don't know him, I mean Elisha, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with him, you're probably familiar with the guy who was his mentor, Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, and I want you to just try to picture this occasion. These three kings, these three leaders of great armies, they come to the prophet, and I just want you to pick up on the, the way that Elisha speaks to them in response. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What do I have to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them in the hands of Moab. Elisha basically says to the king, Oh, you're in, you're in trouble, so now you want to talk to me. Now, now, you, now you want to come and talk to me. And Elisha says, As the Lord of the hosts liveth, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. He says, I wouldn't even talk to you if it wasn't for the king of Judah being here. But now bring me a minstrel. Elisha says, I need some music. Bring a musician. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. 
And so Elisha says, bring some music, and they're, they're, they're listening to the music, and in that moment, as the music is playing, God begins to, to speak to Elisha. And I just want to pause here for just a second and, and point out that what we see throughout Scripture in the, the, the establishment of the tabernacle and the temple and, is that God has often used music to meet with his people. And I would encourage you to make it a habit not just when we gather here on Sunday mornings, but to allow the Lord to speak to you through godly music on a regular basis. You are blessed with resources like never before that you can hear good, godly, spirit-filled music on a regular basis. And God would love to meet with you in those moments of worship, not just on Sunday morning. But he says, bring a minstrel. And as the minstrel's playing, the Lord begins to speak to Elisha. Verse 16, and he said... Thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that you may drink, both you and your cattle and your beasts. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And you shall smite every fence city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, and shall stop all the wells of water, and mar every good piece of land with stone. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that, behold, there came water by way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. These three kings are out spoiling for a fight. They're going to go and face the Moabites. They go seven days' journey, and there's not enough water for the men of their armies to get something to drink. They can't give their men something to drink. They also can't give their cattle something to drink. The cattle that they're bringing with them, it will be their food as they wage this war. Now, I imagine that they could have had an argument amongst the three of them of whose fault this was. I thought you were bringing the water. No, I thought you were bringing the water. You said that there was a great creek near here. For whatever reason, perhaps it was poor planning, or perhaps it was because of a drought, or somebody had dammed up the water upstream. For whatever reason, they find themselves in a valley too far from any water to be able to give their men and their cattle something to drink, and they are desperate. And no matter the source of the problem, no matter the details of circumstances that lead them to this point, they realize we need some divine intervention. We need some divine help, and Elisha is nearby. I'm speaking to some people this morning that your circumstances are all different. What you're facing is varied, but we all need our divine intervention. Every one of us. Every one of us is living life in a valley that is dry, that has no water. We live in a culture and a world that constantly tells us that there is peace and joy and satisfaction in this thing or in this element or in this substance or in this experience or in this person, and it is always a well that is dry. We constantly find ourselves thirsty with nothing to drink from. And that's where these men were. And they recognized that they needed some divine intervention. Unfortunately, we only come to God in prayer when we feel like things are just really bad. There's nothing else we can do but pray. And that's when we pray. We pray when there's nothing else to do but pray. The truth is that these three kings and their armies needed divine intervention well before they ever ran out of water. Now, Elijah, he tells them not only how they will receive water, but he also tells them that the Lord is going to give them victory in their battle. 
They needed to seek this divine help from the very beginning. They should have asked God to help them before they ever stepped out of their kingdoms, before they ever brought their armies together. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not finding yourself in a dire situation. Things are actually going pretty well. You hit your numbers at work in 2018. You're expecting a big tax refund in the next, the next few weeks. Christmas went well. You are, just got a promotion. Things are great, so you feel like, yeah, there are probably some people here, Pastor Dan, that they need some divine intervention, but right now I'm doing okay. And can I tell you that the greatest thing that could happen to you is for whatever water that you think you're drinking to run out and for you to recognize that you need some divine intervention because we all do. By metrics, by metrics, things are going pretty well here at Faith Church right now. We just had our fourth consecutive year of growth and giving us nine out of the last 10 years of attendance growth and eight out of the last 10 years of growth in finances. However, we are just as desperate for the Lord's presence among us today as we were in 2011 or in 2005 or in 2001 or in 1978. There is no place that we will get to where we will... Be like, all right, God, we got it from here. Thanks for getting us over the hump. We can coast from here. We need the Lord's intervention. We need his divine help right now. I had a conversation just a few weeks ago with someone who, basically what I, what I summed up the conversation with was, was, this is how I summed it up. Basically, I don't know what I'm doing. That's what I said to them. Now, I don't want you to think that I, I mean that I'm making things up as I go because that's not the, the, the state. But the truth is that I've never led a congregation this size before, and I've never led as many volunteers as we have right now. I've never taken a church to two services, which we're about to do in three weeks. I've never done any of that before. Now, I am seeking guidance and help from every person that I know can give me any type of advice and guidance. I'm reading books I have studied. I have enlisted the help of a coach. But God's got to do this, because I can't. This is beyond me. And what Eric preached on last week was exactly what we need to all be wrestling with personally and corporately as a church. God has to do this. It is only him who has brought us from 2011 to here, only him who brought us from 2005 to 2011. It is only him who will carry us from 2019 into 2020 or 2025 or 2030. We need his divine intervention, whether or not we're dying of thirst or not. We need his help. We need to come to him in prayer. And so just as much as if I had to come to you this morning and report to you that we were out of money, which we're not, or that finances were in the, the tank, which they're not, or that attendance was trending downward, which it's not, just as much as I would need to come to you in that moment and say, we need God's help right now. We need God's help. We need his help. Lord, I need you. We are always in desperate need of prayer, even when our circumstances do not drive us to prayer. Consider that. We are always in desperate need of the Lord's help, even when our circumstances are not driving us to pray. We need to be on our knees before we are knocked to our knees. We need to be seeking the Lord's face before we find that we don't know where we are going. And while the circumstances of our church might be all up and to the right right now, we are in definite need of prayer. And by the way, while right now we don't find ourselves in the same situation that the kings are in, we don't find ourselves dying of thirst. What we do find ourselves is on, the, is on the brink of a major campaign, 
of a major effort to reach our community. We find ourselves on the brink of a major war against the powers of darkness in this community, and it will wage against us individually, corporately. It will do everything it can to trip us up, to bring disunity, to bring hardship, to bring adversity, to keep us from accomplishing the mission. Because while we may not be dying of thirst, this community is. This town is. It is filled with people who do not know up from down. They do not know left from right. They do not know dark from light. They do not know where the truth is. They need someone to show them the way. And maybe right now in your personal life, God is using circumstances to show you that you are in desperate need of prayer. Or maybe things are going well, but in whatever situation you find yourself in right now, all of us need the Lord's All of us need to go and say, where is the prophet of the Lord? Where is someone who can lead me to God? Where is someone who can show me what it is that God is saying? Where is is the truth of the Lord? Where is his guidance right now? All of us need to be saying that. Now, now there are some lessons that all of us can learn in this passage from what the kings experience. First of all, I want you to recognize that there are some jobs that God will not do for us. There were definitely times that God's people needed prayer, needed water in the scriptures. There were times that he was leading them out of Egypt. They were going through the desert, they needed water, and God caused it to flow out of a rock. There were times that these people had seen God's man pray that the rain stopped, and they stopped, and then see God's man pray that it starts, and it starts again. If God so desired in that moment, he could have caused water to fall from heaven. He could have caused it so that when they returned back to their camp, there were camels walking up with carts loaded full of vats of water, but he did not do that. What he did is he told them to go and to make the valley full of ditches. Not an easy task, especially when you're thirsty. He says, go make the valley full of ditches. Go and dig a whole bunch of ditches. Break out your shovels. This is a pretty good example of how the Lord would often do this with the people that he led out of Egypt, his his Hebrew children, his promised ones. He led them out of Egypt, and every day in the desert he fed them with manna. Eric mentioned this last week in his message that God would provide them with food every day. But you know what they had to do every morning? They had to go out and they had to gather it. They had to go out every morning and harvest. They had to go out and pick it up. They had to go out and get their day's worth of bread. And they weren't allowed to get two days' worth of bread. Because that would have been a lot more efficient, right? If they could have just gone once and got enough bread for the whole week, but they could only get one day's. If they got three days' worth, it would spoil. Except for on the day before the Sabbath. Then they could get two. Suddenly, that bread had preservatives in it, and it could last an extra day. He was teaching them that they each day had to go out and get their daily bread. And what God does for us is he gives us things that we could never get for ourselves, but he does give us responsibilities, he does give us jobs, he gives us tasks to do, and he will not do these jobs for us. And in this case, he gives them a hard task of digging ditches. And when people speak of work, they often speak of digging ditches as some of the hardest work, right? Right? People will say things like, even if I have to dig ditches for a living, right? Or they'll say, Uh, You know, I'll be proud of my son, even if he grows up to dig ditches. And it's viewed as this very low, menial, hard, labor-intensive work. And that's what God calls them to do here. He tells them to go and dig 
ditches. I've heard that Patton, when he was trying to determine who to um, promote among a group of officers, that he would send them out to dig a ditch. And after they had done the, the job and, and had the ditch all completed, he would then tell them to fill it in. And whichever one complained the least was the one that he would promote. Because it would often be work that they were called to do or commands that they were given that they would have to then undo. And so Elisha says to these three kings, go make the valley full of ditches. Go and do some work. Dig some ditches. Now, this is difficult for us to grasp because our relationship with God is not based upon work. We don't have a relationship with God because we've worked so hard, because we've, we've dug enough ditches, because we've done enough backbreaking work, we've done enough kind things. We have a relationship with God because of grace. He has done the work. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us that for by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So no one should boast, look all the things that God has given me because of all the work that I have done. It is God's grace. However, he does call us to works. We don't work for our salvation. We don't work for the blessing in our lives. We can't use God as this genie or this, this teller that if we go and we push in the right combination or we say the right words or we give the right spell or we do the right things that he will give us what we want. But he does give us responsibilities. And so Christ dies on the cross to pay the penalty that we could never pay ourselves, to offer us forgiveness which we could never earn ourselves. But then he calls us to be a part of his work and his mission. So we don't believe in a salvation or a grace that we work for, but we do believe in a salvation that works itself out in our lives. That once we've experienced that, we jump into the mission of what it is that God has called us to do. And if I look at you this morning and I see someone who is unwilling to work in the kingdom of the Lord, unwilling to serve, I don't, I don't want you to think, I need to do those things so that I have salvation but I want you to recognize what God has done for you so that you will respond in gratitude to what it is that he has done for you. When I read about the lives of great preachers and missionaries of years gone by, I read about people who had great faith combined with great work ethic. They didn't expect God to bless them because they worked hard. They expected God to bless them because he's gracious but they were also willing to do the jobs that God had called them to do. And so Elisha says to them, go and dig some ditches. Go and make this valley full of ditches. And once you have done that, water will come and the wind's not going to blow and there's not going to be a cloud in the sky. It's not going to rain. You're not going to know how it happens or where it comes from, but the ditches will be full of water. Go dig ditches and God will send the water. I, I want you to think about those, those kings as they go back and, you know, they're, they're kings so they can tell their soldiers to do whatever it is they want. But think about those soldiers. Like, why, why are we digging ditches? What are we doing? And, and there must have been in them some element, some element of faith or desperation. And it may be that you're here this morning and you're not at a place where you can, you can fully understand and believe what it is that God is offering, but you're desperate enough that you're willing to try. And these guys were so thirsty that they were desperate enough to try, and they had some element of faith. Or it may be that some of them knew that they, the kings have gone, and they've talked to Elisha. And Elisha was the guy that, that served with Elijah, and you know all the miracles that those guys have done. 
And for those of you that have experienced God's grace, you've experienced His saving power in your life, I want you to think about the moments that God has sent the water into your life. That He sent blessings that you don't deserve. He's done powerful things that you never could have imagined or expected. For those of us who've been here, we can look around and see the people that God has brought to us, that God has changed their lives, that He's saved them from their sin, that He's restored their marriages and restored their lives. God will send the water. He's proven that again and again and again. He will send the water. But He's called us to dig some ditches. Now, there are many people who, who love the, the name it and claim it concept of Christianity. You name a promise of God and you claim it as your own. God has said these things and so it's mine. And I don't see that working out a whole lot in Scripture. What I do see happening a lot in Scripture is request it, dig for it, and receive it. Ask God, work, and receive. I see God responding to people who say, God, I want more of you in my life, and they dig for him in his word. I see God responding to people who say, God, I want to experience more of your presence in my life, and they dig into the worship of God among his people. I, I see God responding to people who say, God, I want you to restore my marriage, and they pray for God to do this supernatural thing amongst them and their spouse, and then they do the back-breaking work, they pick up a shovel, and they start digging themselves out of the mess that they've created. I don't see many people say, God, I, I, I claim that you will give me $1,000. I don't see that happen very often. But I do see people who say, God, please help me get out of this debt that I've gotten myself into. And they pick up a shovel, and they go to work, and they pick up extra hours, and they cut their expenses. And God blesses them. Not only through their work, but in ways that they never could have done for themselves. These guys come to Elisha for some help. They didn't come looking for work. And there are times that you come to me for help and you want me to say something that will just magically make everything right. And I hand you a shovel. And I say, we need to pray and then we need to get to work. And I'm like, well, I wasn't really looking for that. Maybe you're here today. You say, Pastor Daniel, I, don't wanna, I, wanna, I wanna see my kids grow up to live for God. I don't wanna see my kids live up and just follow the, the, the ideas and philosophies of this culture and go plunging down the road to destruction that is so prevalent in this day and age, we got to pray for them. And then we got to get to work. Ask any parent here. It's going to take work. And even, even as a parent, if you do everything right, there's a, there's a whole element that is out of your control, isn't there? There's a whole part of it that's completely out of your control, and you've got to trust God with that part. You've got to do your part and then trust God with his part. Paul would write to the Corinthians, he would encourage them, because he would say, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says, don't quit, don't waver, stay in the work of God for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain. You know, you know what Paul is saying then? He's saying, if you'll do your part, God's going to do his part. God is not going to drop the ball. He is not going to forget to do his part. If you will do his part, God will do his part if you'll do your part. You see, there are jobs that God will not do for us. 
But there are jobs that only God can do for us. These guys could dig the ditches, but only God could send the water. They could say a prayer, but only God could answer it. You can put in the effort of training your child, but only God can change their heart. You can work hard and save your money, but only God can keep you employed and healthy and a whole host of other things that could go wrong from your, your being laid off or whatever. We can work hard and pray and invite and invest and do outreach, but only God can build His church. Only God can change lives. God won't do your job for you, and you can't do his job for him. And we often get that backwards. We want to do God's job, and we'd like for him to do our job. And it doesn't work that way. God's called us to dig the ditch, and he will send the water. And you know, the, one of the places that I, I, I feel like I see this just worked out so clearly is in, is in people who get into, they, they, they say, Pastor Daniel, I want God to, to rescue me from my addiction. And they recognize that it's, it's, it's something that only God can do. Only he can take away that desire. Only he can take away that addiction. That's, that's divine. But there's also work that he calls them to do and taking the steps of recovery and going to meetings. You talk to anybody who is fully devoted in, in, in get, being in recovery, and, and they'll tell you, I don't know how I have time for, to do anything else because it's so time-consuming. There's so much work to be done. God is doing his part, but there is a part that they are called to do, and the same is true for us. There's a part that only God, to do, God can do, but he has called us to do our part. And so these guys go to digging because they're desperate and they believe. They believed it was their only hope. They believed that God sent the water before they believed that they had no other options. And wherever you're at on that matrix this morning, maybe you believe because you've seen God send the water before. Maybe you believe because you know that he's able. And maybe you believe because you've got no other options this morning and you're dying of thirst. But wherever you're at, pray, dig a ditch, and trust God to send the water. Trust him to do his part. What I have to tell you this morning is that God has sent the water, he is sending the water, and he will send the water. He will do his part if we will do our part. Let's bow our heads to the word of prayer.